0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi Fi speed faster than a gig.
1: Go online, call 1 800 Xfinity, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi Fi requires gig speed compatible X Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
2: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more, this is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek and Draft. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of April 8th, 2019. On this episode, Jim is out taking some much-needed personal time But I won't be flying solo this episode. We have not one, not two, but three guests this week as the White Sox minor league affiliates are now in full swing starting their regular seasons. Joe Weil of the Winston-Salem Dash will join the show to talk about Luis Roberts' very hot start. He now has three home runs on the year. Nick Magical and how long both will be with the team Jonathan Lee calls from Charlotte to share what he has learned about the adjustment Zach Collins has made to hit three home runs in the opening weekend. And Kurt Bloom of the Birmingham Barons will see the majority of the White Sox top prospects this season. What will the outfield rotation look like and what's the latest with Luis Basabe's injury? Of course, our listeners had questions, which we will try to answer in PO Sox. But first, let's recap the White Sox home opening weekend as they won their home opener in a crazy back and forth game against the Seattle Mariners, but lost the last two games. And here are my takeaways from this series. Number one with the big bullet point is Tim Anderson and Yoan Makata are on fire to start the year. Both are at 0.6 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, with Tim Anderson having the birth of his second daughter. So congratulations to the Anderson family. That is a big change of events. Obviously he had to fly back from Cleveland home to be there. And then he rejoins the team for this weekend and he just went off 10 total hits from Tim Anderson this weekend against the Seattle Mariners. Anderson went is now 14 for 25 on the season. He has two doubles, Two home runs, almost a third home run, but center fielder for the Mariners Malik Smith was able to flip the ball back over the fence on Sunday, preventing Anderson of having three straight games with a home run. And I think the more impressive thing is that Anderson has only struck out twice. He has just one walk. We know that Anderson's not going to walk that much. But the fact that in 27 plate appearances, Anderson has only struck out twice That is a big improvement from what we have seen from Tim Anderson the previous years. And if he consistently can keep the ball in play, uh, I think that obviously he's not going to hit over 500, but this type of success is what we've been looking for that if he could be a 270, 280 type of hitter, uh, then he could really push up his value, especially offensively, because he's already demonstrated that power, and we know that the steals will eventually come when he feels a little bit more comfortable, and he's got the timing of the pitchers in the American League. And one thing that Tim Anderson has been telling reporters after the games on what has been leading to his success has been better timing. He's waiting back more on sliders, which has been his crux in previous seasons in which pitchers would just flip sliders at him and he just whiff on them now he's being patient he's waiting back and he has so much power in his swing he can take out those breaking pitches to dead center field you know for those that thought could tim anderson be 20 type of hitter again uh, i think that is for sure could tim anderson be a 25 25 type of hitter I think that's a that's probable. Could Anderson be a 30-30 hitter? I, I don't know if he can get 30 home runs and 30 steals. I'm confident he can get the 30 steals. Uh, not so confident in the 30 home runs. But when you're looking at shortstops in Major League Baseball today, how many uh, can you say with confidence will hit 25-plus home runs? And the way that Tim Anderson looks, uh, he looks like somebody that most definitely can hit 25 home runs this year. Uh, so terrific start for Tim Anderson. And Yohan Mikata, we talked a lot about in the Sox Machine Live the previous week. And on Friday in the home opener, he was the hero driving in four runs. He had the go-ahead hit, uh, which was a great reaction from the crowd. Being there in person, there was a lot of buildup during that at-bat. And when he delivered that single, uh, I haven't heard that place that loud in a really really long time. So it was a really cool feeling. Uh, Mikada, he cooled off a little bit on Saturday and Sunday. Only had one hit. Uh, But Mikada now in the season is 12 for 34. Half of those 12 hits have been gone for extra bases. He's got four doubles. He's got two home runs. Uh, Mikada has been driving in runs. He's already got 11 RBIs in the year, leading the White Sox in that category. And he's got seven strikeouts, which if you look at a percentage base, is 18.9%. Mikata last year was around 35% for his strikeout rate. So can he maintain this 19% strikeout rate? Because if he can, just like Tim Anderson, the more balls in play Mikata can produce with his type of power, Yeah, I think Mikada could be someone that hits 25-plus home runs. Maybe he can get to 30 home runs. I'm more confident that Mikada can get to 30 home runs than Tim Anderson. Uh, But with the doubles for Mikada and his speed, uh, this is a guy who can maybe hit 25 home runs and get 40 doubles. And now, all of a sudden, when you're pairing Anderson-Mikada together on the left side of the infield... Uh, things are looking pretty good for the White Sox, uh, at least after eight games, and maybe they have lucked into solidifying the left side of the infield without signing Manny Machado. Now, what I mean by that, uh, it was unclear on how Mikado was going to handle the transition to third base. So it's a little bit lucky to see him play this well, uh, making some Key plays. He made a good play on Sunday with a grounder being able to tag D Gordon very fast before he got back to third base to save a run. Of course, the runs came plenty later on in that third inning on Sunday against the Seattle Mariners. Um, But Mikada is making plays at third base. But again, it was unclear on how you'd handle that transition. And what it has done for the White Sox is that it has shifted that weakness to second base, which in theory the White Sox may have an internal long-term solution with Nick Magical coming up. But how quickly will that be happening? We'll try to answer that question later in P.O. Sox as a few of you uh, were asking about that. So that's what I mean by luck. It was so uncertain how Mikado would handle this transition. Right now, he looks good. And who knows, if he continues his pace, everyone will say, see, we didn't need Manny Machado but Manny Machado wasn't replacing Yohan Machado. Machado would have replaced players like Yomer Sanchez, or even signing someone like Bryce Harper would have not stopped Aloy Jimenez from joining the team. It would have replaced Daniel Polka. And the way that Daniel Polka and Yomer Sanchez are currently playing, yeah, everyone would prefer to have Manny Machado or Bryce Harper on the roster. But if this continues and this can last into the All-Star game, Maybe, just maybe, the Chicago White Sox, uh, with a stroke of luck and nice development from Tim Anderson or Yuan Makata may have solidified the left side of the infield and the franchise could look elsewhere to make major improvements on the field. Maybe one of those areas is starting pitching. The second starts were not better for Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, and Ivanova. Starting with Lucas Giolito, because I'm not as concerned with Giolito Uh, as the other two. I'm really not concerned with Ivan Nova. Uh, We'll get to Nova in a moment. But with Giolito now, after two starts, he's pitched 11 innings. He's allowed nine hits, seven earned runs. He's got 12 strikeouts to five walks. So that's a good ratio for Lucas Giolito to strike out a walk rate and also a strikeout per nine rate as well. The hard hit, Giolito has only allowed 35.7% of the pitches he's thrown Uh, were considered a hard hit, something faster than 90 miles per hour as far as exit velocity. Uh, It was just, he wasn't able to repeat his command, uh, get into a good rhythm. He was constantly falling off the mound in his start against the Seattle Mariners. And that's something to pay attention to. In Gilito's next start, it doesn't get any easier for Giolito. He's a probable starter for the first game in the Bronx when the White Sox play the Yankees next weekend. And the Yankees are starting to hit some power if you didn't watch how many runs they put up on the board against the Baltimore Orioles this past weekend. So it would be important to see if Gilito can repeat as far as his pitching motion, we, we've seen him at his best when he was able to stay consistent against Kansas City, but when he gets flustered and maybe if he gives up a run early, it, it appeared that it threw him off as far as his rhythm against Seattle and things really came apart for him. So something to pay attention to is the rhythm of Lucas Gilito. and if he can continue to build confidence and have a quick start in the game, that will give him a better chance to last five to six innings to give the White Sox a quality start. Ronaldo Lopez is a concern at the moment after two starts, only nine innings thrown. He's allowed 12 hits, 10 earned runs. He has eight walks to seven strikeouts. So that's, that's not good on any way that you want to try to paint this at the moment. And you may say, well, it's just two starts. And I would agree with you, but Lopez has allowed three home runs and remember what I said about Gilito's hard hit rate? Gilito's hard hit rate is 35.7%. That's about league average. Lopez is at 48.4%. That's one of the worst rates in all of Major League Baseball early in 2019. And the average exit velocity of hitters making contact against Lopez is 93 miles per hour. So he's not missing bats and he's getting hit hard. And if he's not in the strike zone, hitters are not chasing. That is a terrible combination for Ronaldo Lopez. And I am interested to see what adjustments pitching coach Don Cooper has Ronaldo Lopez make because he's been incredibly fastball heavy. Ronaldo Lopez ranks fourth in Major League Baseball in fastball usage for starters. And it is more than 60% of the time. So I don't know if he needs to throw more breaking pitches. I don't know if he needs to throw more changeups. This is something between he and Don Cooper to figure out. But right now, the game plan for Ronaldo Lopez in his first two starts is clearly not working, and it can get uglier if there are if there are no adjustments made. Good news for Lopez is that he's going to pitch the third game against the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, which the Rays are off to a great start, but by no means are they an offensive force at the moment. Uh, unlike Seattle is. So maybe Lopez can bounce back in his next start. And Ivan Nova, I think we're going to see this all year. We're going to see a good start and a not-so-good start from Ivan Nova. That's just kind of where he is in his career. And the difference between his start against Cleveland and his start against Seattle is that Seattle's offense is far superior than the Cleveland Indians. Nova's always going to live in the strike zone. So if he's going up against a subpar lineup, Nova's going to look good. When Nova is going up against maybe, if you want to say, an above average to even an elite offense in Major League Baseball, I think he's going to get hard and it's not going to be pretty. Kind of like watching James Shields last year. Uh, so Ivan Nova, I think, will look great in games against the American League Central opponents. I don't think Ivan Nova's going to look good against the New York Yankees next weekend. And he may get shell shock, so prepare yourself for that start. Uh, But I think that's just what we're going to get from Ivanova at this point of his career. So right now, Gilito, can he stay in rhythm? Lopez, uh, gotta go back to the drawing board and come up with a new game plan. Nova, I think he's going to look good against subpar offenses. I think it's going to look ugly when he's going up against above-average offenses. Now, that's recapping as far as the weekend series. Let's look ahead now to this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, as the Tampa Bay Rays come into the south side as the White Sox wrap up their six-game homestand. The Rays are 7-3. They lead the American League East. Offensively, as I mentioned, they have struggled. They are only averaging 3.4 runs per game. However, the Rays have only allowed 1.9 runs per game. Per game. So two runs per game, they have allowed. They've been doing a terrific job with run prevention. And it just seems like the Rays are playing a National League style of baseball in an American League setting. And it's been working for them early. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, again, they're three and five. Offensively, the White Sox have been better. They're averaging 5.4 runs per game. However, on the run prevention front, the White Sox are allowing 6.6 runs per game. And as the old sports cliche, something's got to give. Will the Rays be able to shut down the White Sox offense? And can the Rays score more runs in this series against the White Sox? Poor defense and pitching at the moment. We shall see. The pitching problems for this series, and it's a lot of unknown on the Rays side, but what we do know on Monday uh, should be a very interesting matchup. Again, all these games are in the afternoon at one ten p.m. Central Time. Why? I do not know. It's a better question for Brooks Boyer. But anyways, it'll be Blake Snell for the Rays, the reigning AL Young Award winner against Carlos Rodon. On Tuesday and Wednesday, it is to be determined for the Rays. But for the White Sox, they are planning to have Ermin Santana make his first start for the White Sox. And then on Wednesday, it will be Ronaldo Lopez. Of course, we'll be recapping that series against the Rays on Sox Machine Live on Wednesday night, so make sure you guys tune in for that on the live stream at Mixler.com slash Machine, or you'll be able to listen to the recording Thursday morning on the podcast feed. Now let's see what's going on with the White Sox minor league affiliates. This show is sponsored by SeatGeek. The ticket industry hasn't changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies who have been around forever but really don't care about making the experience easier for the customer. Like, I use SeatGeek for opening day for the Chicago White Sox. It was a terrific experience. And I love using SeatGeek because it's a ticket company where the customer comes first. With more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web, Rates each one on a scale of one to 10 and displays them on an interactive seat map. So it's simple to find what you're looking for. The green dots are good deals. The red dots are overpriced. Plus every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. And I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. Like I mentioned, I use SeatGeek to get into the stadium on opening day. It was incredibly easy to shop for tickets. It was also incredibly easy to get into the stadium with the White Sox going paperless and all digital tickets. Uh, It was a much quicker experience than years past using other ticket sites with digital tickets. You get a QR code through SeatGeek. And they quickly scanned it on your phone as I entered in uh, gate two. And it took about two minutes <laughs> to go through security, emptying my pockets, having my phone scanned with the SeatGeek tickets. And boom, I was already in the craft cave, uh, getting myself a beer. Uh, so if you haven't used SeatGeek before, I highly recommend it. Because the best part is Socks Machine listeners get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just use promo code SOXMACHINE. That's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You could use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. So remember, that's promo code SOXMACHINE for $10 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. The Winston-Salem Dash are off to their first 3-0 start in franchise history in large thanks to Luis Roberts' play. And joining us to provide the latest is the voice of the Wits at Salem Dash. It's Joe Weil. And hello, Joe. Thanks for joining the show again.
2: Gosh, no problem. Thanks for having me again.
0: So Luis Robert, at times in spring training, just looked like a different player. And this was an extension of what we saw from him, Joe, at the Arizona Fall League. That something has clicked. He has started to figure out how to hit for power. And man, in the first three games of the season, uh, he has put that on display uh, how would you sum up his play so far I know it's only three games and we could tend to overreact uh, but how good has Robert looked
2: he's been he's been unbelievable he just looks so comfortable at the play through these first three games he's posted uh, three consecutive multi-hit efforts which I looked up in his in his game log just to check to see if he's done that since he started playing in the minors in the United States and he hadn't done that before so Seven for thirteen with two home runs, seven RBIs, his flash line through three games is is just is really impressive and you know, it's obviously a small sample size and, and those numbers will come back down to earth a little bit. But uh he he's been remarkable so far with the two home runs he hit in game one and he just looks like a like a new person at the plate and I really think that He just, one, feels a lot more comfortable playing in the U.S. now that he's been assimilated to the culture. Two, he's healthy, which I think is really the biggest thing. I think he was just dealing with that nagging thumb injury throughout the entirety of last year. And I think that that really got to him as he never fully was healed from it as he played in Winston-Salem. I remember talking to him at the end of last year during his time with Ash and he said, I don't feel 100%, but I feel better than when he was on the then disabled list, now they call the injured list. But I think he wasn't completely 100% at any point last year. So you mix in all those factors. Now everything's starting to come together. Plus he came off a really good spring training. And he talked about after uh, he talked about that after his two-homer game and, and said that that gave him a lot of confidence entering the season. And then he's also seen Carolina League pitching before. So, He knows what to expect at this level. But it's fun to see just all the tools come together. And Rick Hahn, I know, talked about it after that two-hour game, saying that his tools are as good as as some players at the major league level. I mean, that is 100% true. It was 100% true last year as well, but now we're starting to see it actually come together in gameplay.
0: So I'm going to be coming down your guys' way on April 26th to see the Woods at Salem Dash and to meet Luis Robert and the other Dash players. Uh, that's the plan, Joe. Do you think <laughs> do you think Robert will be there by the time I get down?
2: Well, I, I think so and selfishly I'd like to just stay a little bit longer so I can watch him. But at the same time you want to see these guys continue to move up in their uh careers within the White Sox system. I do think he'll be be here for, for that time, Josh. So you can count on Louis Robert being here. Now, if he continues to keep up a, a, a slash line of 538 average, 571 on base percentage, and an OPS of, of a, a 1.077, then you probably won't see him. But um, I, I would say that you probably will have a chance to see him when he comes uh, when you come to Winston-Salem in late April. I, I think they're going to want to give him at least a month at this level before they move him up. And I, I think the biggest reason why is because of – the guys that are at A Birmingham right now, you have four really, really talented outfielders in Luis Gonzalez, Joel Booker, Mike Rodolfo, and Blake Rutherford. And if you're going to move Luis Robert up, you want to make sure that he's going to have some time to play and not block those guys as they try to acclimate to the A level. Um, for Joel Booker, he's going back to the A level, but you want to make sure that those guys get a little bit of time. So count on it, Josh, not 100%, but I would say that you're going to probably have a chance to see him.
0: My bold prediction this year, though, Joe, was that by September, Luis Robert will get his cup of coffee with Chicago. My thinking behind that was that the White Sox have invested a lot of money in him $56 million just to have him be in their system. And I'm sure at some point there are higher ups that would like to see what their $56 million investment looks like this year. And that's why that was my bold prediction. Probably unlikely. But what are your thoughts about that? Do you think that a player, uh, we saw it with Juan Soto last year uh, when he went up to the Washington Nationals, can make that jump from high A to the major leagues in a year?
2: They certainly can. And the only thing I would say with that, though, is it has to be like Juan Soto. And if you look at Juan Soto's stats last year, I just remember seeing on stat packs every day Juan Soto home run Juan Soto home run I mean he he was just unstoppable he was in the Carolina league for I think two and a half weeks last year you have to be that good to merit a call up to the big league level Robert is of the talent that he could do something like Juan Soto I don't think it's going to happen but I, I, I there's a possibility because some guys just transcend the levels that they're at and and Juan Soto was certainly that guy and there, there have been other examples throughout Major League Baseball where guys have spent very little time in the minor leagues and actually if you look at the White Sox system and, and you go several years back their their top round picks wouldn't spend a whole lot of time in the minor leagues so I can see a scenario in which that happens I, I think it's obviously more likely that that it doesn't happen but I commend you for making the bold pick that it's going to happen um and going out on a limb there. But <laughs> I would say he's going to probably stay in the minor leagues, and I think the biggest reason for that is just because the White Sox are still in the midst of the rebuild and wanting to take their time and making sure that Robert hits his checkpoints at, at each level.
0: Now another top prospect for the White Sox with the Dash to start the year is Nick Madrigal. And you had Nick Magral on the Winston Salem Dash podcast. I highly recommend everyone that listens to this show. you also listen to that because Joe and the guys they do a great job of sitting down with these White Sox prospects to get a better understanding of how they tick and with magical, I mean there's just so many angles you could take with this guy he's a national champion um from Oregon State he's a top five pick uh selected fourth overall I mean there's a lot of pressure that comes with that and With the way that the White Sox defense has started off in 2019, you're already hearing people be like, don't worry, Nick Magical is coming soon. Uh, You know, for Magical, he's not having the same type of start Luis Robert is. Before Sunday's game, he was zero for seven with a couple walks. He's already struck out twice, which sets off alarms because this guy never strikes out, it seems. Um, But with Nick Magical, when you sat down with him, Joe, uh, what are your impressions of Magical as far as the the, the player that's the top five pick from the White Sox in 2018. Do you think he has the ability to grow into a star?
2: I, I do, and I, I think the White Sox got a good one in Nick. And, and And you mentioned at the beginning stat line here for Nick. I think that's where you have to say, okay, small sample size, especially the two strikeouts he had in the game during our doubleheader yesterday. I mean, that that is a statistical anomaly considering he struck out just five times in 155 at bats his first year. But in talking with Nick during that chat, I mean, you just get to know a guy that's so confident in himself, which is awesome considering he's only 5'7". And you think, you know, for people that are smaller, that's something that they may be self-conscious about. But Nick is just so confident in himself that he's able to have fun with it. He shared a story about – Aloy Jimenez and the two would just joke with each, o- each other and Nick would call Aloy Jimenez big head and Aloy and would call him oompa loompa but they had fun with it and and they just they just went back and forth and Nick is just someone that's so comfortable in his own skin that stuff like that doesn't matter and in talking with Nick and getting to know him He explained to us that the reason that he never allowed his height to get in his way was because of his parents. He said that they just instilled this belief in him that you you can be the player that you've always wanted to be. You want to be a professional baseball player? Go after that. You can accomplish that. Don't worry about height. And he's shown that throughout his entire baseball career, being a star where he played at Elk Grove High School in California and then going to Oregon State and becoming the Pac twelve player of the year as a sophomore, winning a college World Series as a junior and then and then and then also, you know, being drafted fourth overall by the Chicago White Sox. That's what I've that's what I've gleaned from Nick and getting to know him is that you have a guy that's just so confident in himself, he knows who he is and what he can do on a baseball field, and nothing is going to get in the way of that. And He knows that it's just hard work he has to put in to get there, and he's not going to let the excuse of being a smaller guy get in his way. And, and I think that with that, the White Sox should be really happy that they have someone like that in their system and someone that they've invested money in um, because I think he will ultimately be a very productive big league player. We saw the defense last year in Winston-Salem in his short tenure with us. I think the offense will come around with
0: more time. It's just, it's just still early on that front. Now, with Madrigal, will we see him at shortstop this year?
2: That's a good question, and and I haven't talked to him about that yet. I I would think that they will probably try to mix him in a little bit. We have Zach Remillard playing shortstop for us, and and throughout his minor league career, he's played third base. So, depending on if Remillard goes up to Double A at some point, I would think that Madrigal will probably get. A couple of reps in there at shortstop, but so far this season he's played second base.
0: And Remillard is off to a hot start. He's 6-for-13 before Sunday's game. Uh, So Remillard is definitely hitting well and should be in the lineup. But it would be pretty interesting to see if Magical does get some time at shortstop so he gets those reps in because you never know what the White Sox needs will be in the near future. Now some White Sox prospects that fans are still keeping tabs on. Uh, Alec Hansen, A interesting decision by the White Sox to have Hansen pitching out of the bullpen. He's already made one appearance. It was a scoreless inning. He got a strikeout. Um, but how does Alec Hansen look out of the bullpen, and is this a permanent move, Joe?
2: I don't know if it's 100% permanent, but I, I asked our, our manager, Justin Jersley, and I asked pitching coach Matt Slefki about a rotation before the season, and then they told me who it was, and I said, well, what about Hanson? And, and they said, starting out in the bullpen. And then I, that was really all I got from it. Uh, I, I think that there's still some consternation as to to where Alec will be down the line. He didn't look good, though, yesterday, I will say. And he looks like he's in a much better mindset coming into this season. We got him at the end of last year, and, and, and I was – having seen him in 2017 – To see him come back, I I obviously didn't want that for him. I wanted him to continue to progress up the White Sox system. But he just looks like a different guy this year. He's got a little bit more bulk to him. He looked really strong in that one inning, and he actually set down the Frederick Keys 1-2-3. We'll see going forward if the reliever role is going to be his destiny. And I know when he was drafted, that was what a lot of people thought he would ultimately shake out to be. I hope that a starter role is still in his future because I think it's still there, having seen what I saw in 2017. And yes, issues did arise back in 2018 during his time with us and and with, with Birmingham as well. But I would like to see him get at least more of an opportunity to get back to the starters role that we saw him excel at two years ago.
0: Now, Jameson Fisher, is he in the dirt now? Is he playing first base for the Dash?
2: That's right. He's playing some first base right now. So we don't
0: we don't have a natural
2: first baseman on our roster. So Fisher has taken over that spot and he actually played this position um, at Southern Eastern Louisiana University. So he has some experience playing first base. But last time we saw him in 2017, he not only had a mustache, he's playing in the outfield as well. He doesn't really have as prominent a mustache as he used to, but, but more hair on his head. That's what
0: I noticed. Yeah, Fisher had that Chicago cop mustache. It was a beauty. (laughs) Uh, Too bad that he shaved it off. And then from the opening day, uh, on the injury front, Lincoln Hensman only lasted one-third of an inning, and then he was lifted for Zach Lewis. Zach Lewis, by the way, folks, is from Palos Heights. Uh, So those that are listening to this uh, that are from that area, Uh, You may remember Zach Lewis's name. Zach Lewis did really well in relief. He threw six and two-thirds innings, only allowed one unearned run, six hits allowed, uh, but he struck out eight over one walk. Uh, So that was part of the story from opening day. But Lincoln Hensman, do you have any updates as far as his injury status?
2: Yes, I do. So he experienced some tightness in his right hamstring, and actually what happened was on on the first play of the bottom of the first inning, there was a ground ball hit to the right side, Lincoln ended up trying to cover first base as Jamison Fisher was 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 fielding the ground ball, and what happened was Lincoln started to experience some tightness as he started running toward first base, and then once he got there, the throw sailed wide, and he twisted his leg a little bit, and he just he just got some more tightness in it. And, and watching him pitch the rest of the inning, you could tell that he was he was definitely not at a hundred percent or really even right because he wasn't pushing very well off his back leg. From what, what, I, what I've heard, though, and, and, and from what he's told me, I actually went up to him yesterday and said, how you doing, big guy? And he says, feeling better. And, and the trainers have told me that it's not a serious injury. He's going to miss his next start. Uh, Zach Lewis will be taking over for him, and that'll be on Wednesday at Wilmington. But it's not a l- super serious long-term injury for Lincoln. He may just miss a couple starts, uh, which is fortunate because I was, I was really looking forward to seeing what he would do this year and, and as the White Sox fans after putting together a pretty good year last year.
0: You'll hear Joe all season long when you're watching the dash through the stream or listening on the radio. You could follow Joe on Twitter; he's at Joe underscore Weil, and of course, follow the Winston Salem Dash at WS Dash Baseball, and definitely tune into their podcast. Again, Joe does a great job of sitting down with these guys and breaking down as far as their path to where they're at with the Winston-Salem Dash. So if you want to learn more about these White Sox prospects, definitely check out the Winston-Salem Dash podcast. And Joe, as always, man, we'll have you later on the season to give us an update of what's going down in Winston-Salem. But thank you so much for joining the Sox Machine podcast.
2: No problem at all, Josh. Look forward to seeing you in Winston-Salem and sharing some barbecue with you.
0: Before we join Jonathan Lee down in Charlotte, a quick word from one of our sponsors, Draft. If you love fantasy baseball then you need to try my new favorite app draft it's daily fantasy baseball but it's unlike the other sites on draft it's a live snake draft with other people just like we do with our other season long leagues and again with daily fantasy sports drafts just last one night and when you're done drafting that's it you don't have to worry about trades or waiver wire you just set it and forget it And the best part, of course, is playing for cold, hard cash and getting paid out the next day via PayPal. And drafts start from just $1, so there's draft for everyone. For those that just like to be like me on the the petty gambler side, playing the $1, $3 games, or if you really want to get testy, uh, there's definitely some $500 lobbies that you could participate in. And every single day during the season, I will be having a daily contest on draft That will range from six to 10 people in the lobby, be a dollar entry or $3 entry. And again, the rules are pretty simple. You will pick a pitcher, two infielders, and two outfielders. So your team is five players. And again, with the Live Snake draft, uh, every day you'll be participating in the best part of playing fantasy sports, which is the draft. So it's always great to see trends on which players are. Pick most often. I'll just tell you right now. If you participate, uh, you want to get Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger pretty early because those guys are typically going one, two in our drafts. And you could join me on Draft for one of the daily contests. Uh, First thing, download the Draft app in the App Store. You could also play right from your computer at Draft.com. And for a limited time only, Sox Machine listeners get a free entry into a real money baseball draft. So if you want to participate in one of the Sox Machine Daily contests, uh, go sign up on draft and use promo code SOX. That's promo code SOX. And when you make your first deposit, you're going to get a free entry into a money contest. So you can participate in the Sox Machine Daily contest. You could beat us with your free entry ticket and come away with pure profit. How awesome is that So to get started and play with other White Sox fans all season long in draft, search Draft in the App Store to download the app onto your smartphone or go to Draft.com and enter promo code SOX. It's not just Luis Robert who is starting 2019 on a tear. Zach Collins in Charlotte already has three home runs and a triple as the Knights have scored 24 runs in three games to start the season. What's working for Collins, and how is everyone else starting the season down in AAA? Well, now joining us is our man down in Charlotte. It's Jonathan Lee. And hello, Jonathan. Thanks for taking the time to come back on the show.
1: Josh, thanks for having me.
0: Man, what an explosive start for Collins. Complete opposite start from last year, which he really struggled out of the gates with Birmingham. Uh, what's been working for Collins to start 2019?
1: Yeah, he's been great so far. Like you said, he's got three home runs. He has got triple. Uh, he just looks like he's comfortable here. He it looks like he he is. This is where you know he he's he wants to be. He's been moving around here in the last couple of years. And you know after spring training, they have a, you know the trip to Arizona, and then they they get up here within short notice. So once you get into the season, I asked him yesterday. Once you get into the season, do you get more comfortable as far as living arrangements, as far as uh, living here in Charlotte and getting accustomed to uh, what you're doing. And, and all that plays into getting more comfortable on the field. And it really looks like that's translating well, obviously, uh, with his play, because he's, he's, playing, he's playing lights out. He's playing great defense behind the plate. Uh, he got his first start at first base a couple of nights ago. And uh, he is, you know, as I said, as you said, he's been great so far. He's not in the lineup tonight. Uh, he says that when he starts, when he – when he, uh, he's he been rotating here between catcher and first base, and he'll know the day before whether he's going to catch or whether he's going to play first base. So I asked him yesterday in the post game what his status is for today, and he said, I think I have a night off, and he does. He has a day off. He is not in the lineup today, which I'll be posting here in about five minutes.
0: All right, so we know that Collins could hit for power, and as you mentioned, defensively he looks good. What is the rotation going to be like? Because, again, you do have Sebby Zavala. So, last year, like we saw in Birmingham, Zavala and Collins will be splitting catching duties. Is there a set plan, Jonathan, on what the Knights are going to do defensively with Collins?
1: Yeah, it looks like it's just going to be a, a straight-up uh, platoon situation Uh yeah, obviously they want to with his with his hot start. They're trying to keep the, his bat in the lineup. That's why they're playing him at first base and getting the, him some defensive reps at first base. But it looks like it's just going to be on a on a uh, on a comfortable pitcher to pitcher rotation with between Zavala and Collins. Uh, D- D- Dylan uh, uh, Dylan Cease goes tomorrow, so uh, we'll see. I would imagine it'll be it'll be uh, Zach Collins tomorrow catching Dylan Cease. I'll find out more about that. Uh, Actually, they just got off the field right as I was walking in. So um, they didn't have any BP today. So we'll see uh, as far as the platoon situation goes. We'll see how it plays out uh, moving forward. But it looks like it's going to be basically almost like a day-by-day situation.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Dylan Cease. He's the prospect headliner for Charlotte to start the year because in Chicago there's a lot of fans – constantly asking, when are we going to see Dylan Cease with the White Sox? And he does make his first start on Monday against the Norfolk Tide, which is the Baltimore Orioles affiliate. But the question out of Chicago, Jonathan, is why didn't he start on opening day? Why is he now starting on the fifth game for the Knights?
1: I just don't, I just think that, that Mark Rodjlanic and maybe the uh, the organization as a whole didn't want to put him in that kind of a situation where he's – the headliner on opening day. I think this is more like an opportunity for him to, once again, like all the other guys, kind of get acclimated to Charlotte, get his feet under him here, get a couple of days under his belt before he can, you know, really get out there and show what he has. So now that he's been here for a couple days and knows the ballpark, knows how, sees how it plays, and is able to uh, be be more comfortable here with the the, uh, surroundings here uh he'll be able to start tomorrow. Now it is supposed to rain tomorrow actually pretty heavily so uh we will see if we can either if we will even get the game in tomorrow. It's kind of 50/50 right now but uh I think it's more like a uh it's just it's trying to make him more it, as comfortable as he can possibly be uh as he starts his triple a career and, and as he moves forward. I think it's a good move.
0: And he's also paired with the White Sox fifth starter. So if the White Sox later in the year decide to want to make that Change uh, right now, he's scheduled whenever the White Sox fifth starter would be, so it could be a smooth transition if Cease pitches well enough at Charlotte to merit a call up. Now, we have already seen one was one roster decision by the White Sox, uh, they decided to hold on to Jose Ruiz but option Dylan Covey down to Charlotte. Rick Renteria said that Kovey's going back to A as a starter. But, Jonathan, how is that going to work? Because the Knights already have a full pitching staff with Cease, Don Roach, Jordan Guerrero, Spencer Adams, and Jordan Stevens already. And it appears that Covey's already pitched out of the bullpen for the Knights.
1: Yeah, he pitched yesterday, and uh, 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 Adams gets to start today. So I would I mean, I would expect that if we see Covey today, it'll be maybe an in inning, maybe two. Uh, right now, it looks like this is going to be the, the five-man rotation. It's going to be Roach, Guerrero, Stevens, Adams, and Cease for the near future, unless you know they get the call from up high that says uh, you know uh, Dylan Covey is going to make the start and just bump one of these other guys, which is entirely possible. You know everything comes from on high, so whatever they say, whatever they want is what's going to happen. So we'll see with Dylan uh, Dylan Covey. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him in the next couple of days. But, I mean, obviously, the the Knights play 18 straight games to start the season, so there would be a opportunity here for him to pitch plenty, uh, whether it's in a starter's role or whether it's in a relieving role.
0: Now, Denny Mendick, he had a great camp at spring training. And with how poor the play has been at second base to start the year for the White Sox, there are some fans that are hoping that maybe he gets an opportunity at some point this season to join the big league club. Uh, how has Mendek looked early to you, Jonathan?
1: he's looked great. He's got a great attitude. Uh, I've only talked to him a few times here, but he seems like a great kid. Uh, yeah, obviously there's some, uh, you know, there's uh, plenty of competition up there in the big club. So we'll see if that works out. But once again, we're just getting started down here. So I would expect, I wouldn't expect to see Mendick up there before, you know, the middle of the season with a call up that time, but, uh, he looks like he's just getting started here. We'll see how, uh, He he plays here in the next about, you know, week to 10 days. As as I said, they play 18 straight. So it looks like he'll be in the lineup every day. He'll be getting reps every day. So uh, we'll see how it goes with Danny.
0: Now, has he been playing second base or is he moving around the infield?
1: No, he's been playing second base. Uh, He's primarily a second baseman. Uh, They started uh, Escobar at shortstop where we've got. um, So he's he's definitely playing uh, Danny Mendick at second base pretty much consistently.
0: All right, and then back to the bullpen, uh, Carson Fulmer, where we're still hoping that something turns on and that he can be more effective to rejoin the big league club, Uh, the 2015 first-round pick for the White Sox. He's made one appearance, allowing a run over two and one-thirds innings, striking out four, walkie two. Uh, Jonathan, what is the plan for Carson Fulmer's role out of the bullpen? Is he going to get an opportunity to close some games? Is he the swing man? Uh, Do you know what plans are for him?
1: Yeah, it looks like where where he is is where he's going to be. I mean, it looks like he's going to be a middle reliever guy. Uh, I don't – I mean, they've got so many high-quality arms at the back of the uh, – between Hamilton, Vieira, and don't forget Zach Birdie is down here. He's on IR, uh, IL. So it looks like uh, Carson Fomer is going to be a middle of the, uh, of the middle reliever. So, you know, I feel Carson's such a great guy. You always want the best for him. Uh, he had, uh, a couple of days ago, he really uh, – he had – he had he had recorded two strike uh, two outs within the first 19 pitches. He was one pitch away from getting out of the inning uh, before he surrendered a hit the other night, and that turned into uh, uh, surrendering two more runs, one earned, and then ended up throwing about uh, 13 or 14 more pitches before he could get out of the inning. So he's kind of a situation where he's 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 only one. It seems like this is very consistent. He's one pitch away from getting out of the inning. Maybe he doesn't go his way, and then you know, it's kind of snowballs into, you know, a bad inning or a bad couple of innings. So you hope for the best for him. It just looks like the way the the, the rotation is set up and the way the end of the, of the uh, bullpen is set up. Looks like he's going to be a middle reliever guy here in Charlotte in the short term. We'll see how it plays out.
0: Now, you mentioned Zach Birdie. Have you gotten any updates as far as with Birdie's health and when the Knights are expecting to see him in a uniform?
1: We, I have not. Uh, I will go find out uh, more today. Uh, we did an afternoon game so we can talk more with uh, Mark ruggs Atlantic after the game. Uh, we will find out more as far as what uh, what the uh, prognosis is for Zach. if he uh, is he able to get in the lineup here pretty soon? We'll find out.
0: Now, AAA is always a bit weird because it's a mixture of former big leaguers trying to make it back with some top-end prospects. You mentioned Escobar. That's El Escobar, the former Kansas City Royals shortstop. Uh, with that being said, Jonathan, I know it's early, but is there anyone else that's catching your attention early that fans in Chicago should pay more attention to when watching the Knights games?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's a couple of the guys that have already been up. It's, uh, Charlie Tilson's already been up. Obviously, Nikki Delmonico is down here. And with Nikki being down here, it was a numbers game as far as when Eloy went up. Uh, Nicky had, was, was the odd man out so those two guys are are down here Brandon Guyer is down here he's got a guy he's a guy with major experience uh, those are three guys in the in the outfield that Sox fans will be familiar with but as far as younger guys uh, or or the, the roster is pretty much set as it is you know here in the beginning of the season before movement comes with injuries so right now it's just going to be Tilson and Delmonico as far as guys you might know from, you know, from playing with the White Sox. So those are the two guys I would say uh, keep an eye on down here as injuries start to uh, take their hold up in Chicago.
0: Yeah, Delmonico is starting the season well. He's four for 11. He's already scored five runs in the year again the Knights' offense has been very explosive to start the year as they've scored 24 runs over three games and Jonathan has been doing an awesome job getting post-game interviews which you could watch on Twitter follow him at follow me for three as he'll also be making stops at Kannapolis and Winston-Salem during the season and Jonathan as always man terrific work thanks for keeping us in the know what's going on in Charlotte and look forward to chatting with you again soon
1: yeah, uh, Josh, I will be in on uh, for their Education Day game, 10.30 a.m. start on Wednesday, and I will be at the uh, Winston-Salem home opener on Thursday the 11th. Very much looking forward to seeing Nick Madrigal and Luis Robert. So thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's head over to Birmingham as the Barons start the 2019 season on the road, and the weather hasn't been friendly. Multiple rainouts to start the season will dampen the spirits, but someone's spirits that are always high talking about the Barons is the voice of the Barons. It's Kurt Bloom, who joins us now on the Sox Machine Podcast. And hello, Kurt. Thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. And look, this is what we do. Rain snow, shine, uh, grasshoppers, locusts, whatever. I mean, I waited six months for this. And I, I get a little, little fever, cabin fever. So it doesn't matter. I've, I've been through a couple of delays and, and mishaps before, uh, as long as we get some games in, which it looks like we will get some of them in. I'm not sure if we'll get all five of them in.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's a lot different weather than what you experience in Arizona, as you got a chance to call some spring training games for the White Sox. However, when you were there, it sounded like it was still... Like Arizona had a cold front, which was unexpected uh for Glendale. And cold front in Arizona, of course, during February's like fifty degrees. Uh but it was a blast to hear you call those games. Uh what was that experience for you like? Awesome. Uh it was a lot of fun and uh
3: you don't at my age stage and experience you don't say it was a lifetime dream. Um I've had small snippets before. Uh, I think what it was was just another test to see if you can handle it. Are you still enthusiastic about what you're doing? Uh, do you still enjoy as much as it? And, you know, the answer emphatically was yes on all of that. And when you look at the games, Josh, uh, what was really neat is so many of the guys had just become uh, big leaguers that were barons within the three-year period. If you, you just want to go back to Tim Anderson, that's fine. Uh, And then Luis Gonzalez, who's, you know, down in our locker room now, he had a lot of time when I was there, and uh, a lot of the, um, just a a bunch, Ryan Burr, just so many names that were familiar, and I was telling somebody, it wasn't Frank Thomas, Jack McDowell, uh, that group anymore, Uh, Robin Ventura, you know, these were all guys that had recently spent time in Birmingham, been a part of our franchise um, and it was, just, it was just like they, you know, graduated as, as we say. Uh, so it was a lot of, uh, it was, it made it easier, made it relaxed. And, um, you know, certainly if you can't enjoy that, man, it, you better try something else.
0: <laughs> That's true. Uh, there are going to be some big prospect names of the Barons to start. 2019 and more coming with Luis Robert and Nick Magical waiting in Winston Salem. Uh, But White Sox fans, when I was asking or at least polling, you know, what are you guys most interested with the Birmingham Barons this year? uh, Kurt, they said the manager, Omar Vizquel, a lot think that Vizquel could be a future White Sox skipper or a manager with another major league baseball team. Uh, What are your first impressions of Vizquel, the manager?
3: had my first time yesterday because, again, the, the crazy weather and the delays and the stoppages and everything like that to talk with him one-on-one. And the first thing is that whether it's the Hall of Fame or managing White Sox or managing somebody else, his first concern, his primary concern, is what's in front of him, and that's the Birmingham Barons. And, and it reminded me so much of Terry Francona. Uh, Omar is more, in, uh, more right now focused on what he can control in his own locker room. Can he control if the phone rings and says you're in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely not. Can he control if uh, a major league club says uh, we need you for an interview? No, he can't control that. So he's going to concentrate and focus on what's in front of him. Um, I think the only down part is that he, he physically has not been feeling up the snuff. Um, he caught some sort of a virus, uh, uh, nasal, nasal congestion, something or other out in Phoenix before he left. So I expected a guy that, that would just be a ball of fire. And, and he's just been probably a, a half a step below where he usually is or will be. Um, and I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing his uh, his drawings, his sketching, his artistry. Um, haven't seen that yet. I think, again, just finding his comfort zone. But that's as famous as anything else. But uh, I don't think, even, even with him being sick, um, not really being himself, uh, I, it's hard to find him without a smile and, and, a, and a joke, and just really enjoying being on the field. When he is managing and coaching during our BP sessions and everything like that, I don't think he stands still for a second. He's running after <laughs> foul balls. He's running after uh, whatever is um, whatever is needed. Every it, it reminds me of a, a college football coach where you know from drill to drill you just you run. You don't just walk and lollygag your way there. And that's, that's, he's, he's got that kind of energy.
0: Now, for the players themselves, the outfield is loaded with the Barons. You got Joel Booker, Blake Rutherford, Luis Gonzalez, and Mike Adolfo at the moment. Uh, our, our listeners had a few questions about Adolfo, and many of them surrounded with when are we going to see him again in the outfield? Do you know what the status is health wise for Adolfo and his throwing arm after his Tommy John surgery?
3: He's going to start once again. This will be about the third time he's going to start a light throwing program soon and there's no answer to the word soon um if all let let me try to speak optimistically for those involved if all goes well i would hope and think sometime in june and then i'll add ish is when we can start uh, uh but it all depends right now he's got a little numbness uh, in his fingers. And he's been through a lot, you know, surgery at his young age, uh, for uh and I've asked scouts again, not I don't go by what I see, but I've asked people who do this for a living. And I had a scout here tell me right to my eyes, said this is a legitimate eighty arm on an eighty scale. Um so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. Tell you, he's in great spirits. Um it's it's like Eloy part, uh part two. Um mm-hmm. it's, it's just his he is so big physically, ball jumps off his bat, um, and uh, his his English is as, as good as mine and yours put together. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> um, he was born in the Virgin Islands. I'm not sure how many people know that. Raised in the Dominican. Well, his English is as good as his Spanish. His Spanish is as good as the English. Um, and he's always got a uh, a big grin on his face, a la Eloy. So it's like Eloy Part Two. And I know Luis is going to be the same thing when and if he gets here. And, uh, I, you know, Josh, you mentioned, obviously, the strength of this system, uh, top to bottom, is the outfield. And I, I'm talking from Kanapolis where you got Steele Walker, all the way up to uh, AAA. Uh, there, there's a, a tremendous amount of talent. I've said uh, on the air, and I've told a lot of people, if you see the phrase, the White Sox have made a trade, Oh, I would almost guarantee it, the the word outfield would be next to that, meaning that there's so much depth here that they can trade two, three guys and, and not
0: not uh, lose um, uh, some tremendous talent. Yeah, again, this off season, they got Yonder Alonso by trading Alex Call, some of that outfield depth, and I agree with you, Kurt.
3: Right, that was the beginning. That's absolutely right. That, that that's the true uh, sense that you know Alex Call might not have been an All Star for some some, and and, and uh, a great player. Uh, I do think Alex has a chance to be a big leader. He's got a skill set uh, that will play. He's a wonderful guy, and and very popular. He's got power, good arm, um, good instincts. It's just that there are so many outfielders in this system uh, that there's just no room for a guy like that. You you are – and these guys, remember, uh, Micah and Luis Robert and uh, Eloy, they signed for uh, some some major dollars. You got Steele Walker, a first, second-round pick, and um, Booker's making his way, Gonzalez, a second-round pick. So – uh, they're stacked, and Alex call, it became a, a piece that they needed to, you know, just move on and, and and get some get get something in return.
0: Now there's another outfielder that you know, if everything went well in spring training, there were no injuries, uh, we'd be talking about, and that's Luis Basabe. Have you gotten any updates about Basabe and when he's expected to arrive in Birmingham?
3: I do. I, I thought it would be June, but I have been told now sometime in May. So he is getting. He's already starting oh, play. Um, getting closer, and uh, the, the the good thing about this crowded outfield is that Omar had that last year, and he was telling me that he rotated almost on a daily basis, left, center, right. They just kept, like, in a big turnstile. Um, it won't be like that. I do think of the guys that we're talking about, Basabe projects as your best center fielder, although I could get an argument. Uh, from people who like Joel Booker because of uh, Booker's speed. Um, I saw Luis Gonzalez play a lot of right field in spring, and, and he was terrific, and yet Omar tells me he likes him in center. So I I think of all of the guys we talk about, though I mean, again, it's crazy with all that talent. I, because I've seen Basabe play, uh, his speed, his instincts, and his arm in center. I, I would think he slightly uh, would be above the other guys we mentioned. Plus, he's got about a, a half a year of experience here. So I think he's scheduled here. Uh, that's what the, the, the word is. I mean, schedules can change. Um, if, if, indeed, uh, an outfielder or two went down in Charlotte, uh, he might have to be promoted early, or he can move Booker up and and, and uh, insert the uh, Samba. And then that does not even include... Uh, to the homer, first game of the year, Luis Roberts. So uh, it, it's a heck, uh, what well, a heck of a, an issue. And, Josh, you've been around the, the, the system a little bit. And for those White Sox fans that follow, this problem right now they have, which is one of the greatest that, that Rick Hahn and Chris Katz can have, this is what they thought was going to be with the trio of outfielders of Courtney Hawkins, Keenan Walker, and Jared Mitchell. That trio never turned out. It just didn't work. Now, not only is there their trio, but there is the backup and a backup and a backup plan, too. So it, it took a while to revamp, and it took a, uh, um, a false start from those other guys who did not pan out. But that position is now – just pick one. It's solid. And it's not a lot of uh, – I, I would not right now want – to be an alligator in Great Falls or Kannapolis going next year. You know, just, where, where do you get, you No, know, you just have to wait your time. you will be an old man by the time you get to Birmingham.
0: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, you know, one area that the White Sox, there is some uncertainty long-term at first base uh, as Jose Abreu becomes a free agent after this year. Now, of course, things can change. He could sign an extension and be on the South side for a little bit longer but many look at Gavin Sheets as a possible internal solution for the White Sox long-term at first base. Uh, he didn't display a lot of home run power though, last year with the Winston Salem dash in your time with the Barons, Kurt, have you seen a player who may have not hit a lot of power at high a, but when they have arrived in double a, they were able to untap some of that potential.
3: You know, it takes a while. I think that the, the last one that I remember like that would be Mac Leo or Donius and, uh he was a complete unknown when he got to Birmingham and wound up and one of the numbers Josh look at is doubles as much as home runs and Maglito had 40 some odd doubles uh so when you're hitting the ball to the gaps line drives left center right center field uh then that that will translate into power uh with with sheets I I I know you're absolutely correct there's really with all due respect there's not a lot below there's not a lot in his way above. I mentioned that on the air. Um that this is really he is the guy of the future. Uh now the White Sox have been notorious both on the mound and at the plate. The key word for them is power. Right now he doesn't have the twenty five thirty um home run power, but you know what? I'll take a two ninety five hitter, ten, eleven home runs and hit the ball in the gap. Uh you know, the guys are like Mark Grace made a pretty darn good career out of uh things like that and uh uh, just, just to name one or two. You know, Joe Mauer never hit for a lot of power, but he was such a great hitter. Uh, so if the Sox are patient and if uh, Gavin does not jump out of his shoes to try to hit those home runs, um, you, you've got an incredibly talented kid with, with a, a great lineage. His dad played in the big leagues. Uh, his smart kid went to Wake Forest. And uh, he's got a, got, a, got all, everything you would want, uh, everything you would want in your you know potential first-base prospect of the future.
0: Now, on the pitching side, one of the names that I'm going to be tracking is Jimmy Lambert, because Jimmy Lambert was having a nice season in 2018 before getting hurt. Uh, He's already had one start for the Barons this year. How did Lambert look in his first start?
3: Not as good as he did at any of his five dominating starts last year. I don't think that's a surprise. Again, when you're looking now at uh, weather conditions, false. Starts back end of a doubleheader, rain, fog. Uh, You know, the only thing missing is, like I said earlier, locusts and and grasshoppers and and, and, uh, volcanoes. Um, It took him an inning, two innings to command and to get comfortable. Uh, One thing that it took me a while, and I think it's important for your listeners to understand, when you go to big league camp like he did, by the time you get sent down to minor league camp, you're not on a routine at all and Lambert has not thrown a lot of innings so this is kind of breakout stuff for him at this moment for this year um that has nothing to do with last year but for this year it's going to take him two or three starts it appears uh to get back to where he was and i i went over his chart when he pitched he had five dominating starts last year uh that that second last one 10 strikeouts i think it was one hit and a uh, fastball that moves, and he gets he's able to elevate with it. Really good breaking ball, but he just could not find, the the key word would be his rhythm. His rhythm was off uh, in his first starting, uh, first start rather here. Same thing with Tanner Banks, and, and guys like that rely on rhythm as much as anything else, but I bet you if we did this in a month, Lambert will put up his numbers. I'd be surprised if yeah, uh, if he
0: doesn't. Yeah, I'd be too, because I think this is somebody that's waiting in the weeds for the White Sox pitching prospects that can yep. really surprise some people and rise up. He definitely showed some great stuff last year, and hopefully, we get to see that in 2019. Well, it should be a very tough Southern League this year. There's a ton of talent there, and hopefully, the Birmingham Barons rise up to the top. And compete for the Southern League title. It'll be very exciting as uh, it's been a while since Birmingham has had this much talent at one time. Uh, and it'll be very exciting. Again, still coming to see later this year Luis Robert and Nick Magical. But you will hear Kurt Bloom on the call for every Barons game in 2019, either on the radio or during the web streams. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Kurt Bloom, the number four. And follow the Barons on Twitter as well. They're at Beham Barons. Kurt, as always, thank you for taking the time to come on our show and look forward to hearing many Gonzo calls this season for the Barons. Yeah.
3: Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'll have to. i end it with this. There was a, a home run by Yonder Alonzo, and one of my famous calls already was Gonzo Alonzo. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of grief about that one. I enjoyed it. But thanks for having me. Anytime. Check in uh, whenever we can help. Okay?
2: You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White
0: Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Sox Machine and helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend at Patreon.com/socksmachine, and I will be answering your guys's PO socks questions this week. We got a great set of questions here. The first question we have uh, comes from Zach on Twitter, and Zach is asking: Is there a bold yet appropriate trade that the White Sox can pull off to offset the dwindling free agent class? Given all these extensions, I feel everyone needs to get creative now. And Zach, I agree with you. And Rick Hahn also agrees with you. His latest interview that he did for 670 to score with Lawrence Holmes, uh, he touched on that when Lawrence Holmes asked Rick Hahn what he thought about of all these extensions that Hahn admitted that moving forward, teams are going to have to make more trades than they are going to invest in free agency. And it seems like the White Sox, when they're making those big moves, are more comfortable doing it via trade than signing a free agent. And remember, the White Sox didn't sign a free agent third baseman. They went out and traded for Todd Frazier. And the White Sox weren't really looking to sign a starting pitcher. They traded for Jeff Samarja, and we just saw it uh, here this season, trading for Ivan Nova, Uh, even trading for James Shields, which, man, does that deal look worse every single day. We see Fernando Tatis Jr. perform For the San Diego Padres. But back to your question here. Who could be some targets for the White Sox. In maybe next offseason. And I think there are two bold. And I do think they are appropriate trade targets. And yes they're both outfielders. And I think the first one. Is a little bit more realistic. And that is Starling Marte. From the Pittsburgh Pirates. Marte next season is going to be 31 years old. uh, So he's going on the opposite side of the aging curve. He has two years remaining on his deal, and they pay out to just $24 million. So to have a player on the caliber of Starlin Marte for two years, $24 million, is right in the wheelhouse for the White Sox. And the White Sox and the Pirates have made several deals over the years. And using Zips for the projection model for the next two years, Zips believes that Marte will be a 2.6 wins above replacement in 2020, and a 2.3 wins above replacement in 2021. Now, why Sarlan Marte? Just because there's a lot of uncertainty still with the White Sox outfielders on how they're going to progress through Birmingham. And as we're seeing with Eloy Jimenez, Jimenez is not lighting the world on fire. Uh, Not like I thought he could do when joining the White Sox. He's still getting some hits, but they're all singles. So even if the White Sox are stacked with all these outfield prospects, uh, and typically with White Sox history uh, of new players coming up uh, and not lighting the world on fire over the years. And that also includes free agent signings that they have made uh, that it may be better off that the White Sox do have a veteran presence in the outfield to join Elo Jimenez. While you can see if Luis Basabe can adjust to double a AA and triple a major league pitching to see if Mike Adolfo can regain his strength and his throwing arm after Tommy John surgery. And how quickly can Luis Robert go up the system? Again, my bold prediction is we could see Luis Robert. Now, out of those three options, uh, I think is the most likely we'll see with the White Sox in 2020 uh, that Luis Robert could play center field and maybe you move Starling Marte to right field and you still have that outfield depth in Luis Pasabe and Mike Rodolfo, or maybe you can use them to send over to Pittsburgh to get a deal done. Uh, but the White Sox need more proven veteran bats that we can count on uh, to produce or at least be able to count on and we could watch them produce uh, on a daily basis uh, so i think starlin Marte is a appropriate trade target another one is one that we saw this weekend and that's mitch Haniger with the seattle mariners now the problem with hanniger is is that he's yet to hit arbitration so yes, Mitch Haniger is playing for the league minimum right now. And man, are the Seattle Mariners getting surplus value. Now you may be asking, why would the Mariners then be interested in moving Mitch Haniger? And I'm glad you asked. Haniger next year is going to be 29 years old. So he's leaving his prime and he's entering his first arbitration year. Could he be making 4 million? 5 million? And what is the direction the Mariners are taking? The Mariners are a very interesting team right now because they're fun bad. They're not very good at pitching. They're terrible at defense. But holy cow, can that lineup hit? Is that lineup going to average close to eight runs per game the rest of the season? I don't think so. And are the Seattle Mariners interested on in holding on to Mitch Haniger when he's going to be 29, 30 years old if they're not sure if they're going to be a contending team over the next two years? Or would they be interested in flipping Mitch Haniger for some younger prospects that they can plug into the major leagues and they can give them more time as they kind of go through this quasi-rebuild uh, that they're planning to have as they try to get younger? If they're interested in that, Zips is projecting that Mitch Haniger is going to be a three and a half wins above replacement player in 2020 and 2021. And for Haniger again, he's not a free agent until 2023. The problem with Haniger is that that would be a trade that would hurt the White Sox as far as prospect depth. That's something like you're going to have to move Luis Basabe. You're going to have to move Dane Dunning uh, over to Seattle for Mitch Haniger. Uh, but, you know, with Hanneker, he can hit. He really can hit, and that would be an offensive presence into the White Sox lineup. Uh, again, I know I'm picking two outfielders here, and, you know, you could also look at starting pitching as well that the White Sox will need help with. But I just feel that, yeah, even though the White Sox have all these outfield prospects, they're not all going to emerge and hit the ground running and being players that you can count on to be three wins of and above replacement type of outfielders, they're going, to, they're going to need some time to adjust to the league. And because of that, if you want the White Sox to compete in 2020 and 2021, uh, maybe they would be better off having a veteran hitter in that lineup uh, to help carry some of the load. So that there you go, Zach. Two options for you, Starlin Marte and Mitch Haneker. I'm sure you guys have some ideas as well, so definitely leave them as far as on the podcast page at SoxMachine.com or you can hit me up on Twitter at... Sox machine underscore Josh. The next question we have comes from Russell, the canine and Russell is asking with John Jay out, who is next in line for right field at bats. If Daniel Palka keeps floundering well, Russell, uh, that guy just got sent to Charlotte. <laughs> That's Ryan Cordell. Uh, so at the moment, I- I'm not quite sure. I mean, we could see maybe an outfield alignment of Elo Jimenez in left field, Adam Engel more in center field and Lurie Garcia back over uh, to right field, um, that's what you That's. that's those are the options that Rick Renteria has at the moment, uh, especially with Ryan Cordell being sent back down. Uh, if Paul could continues to struggle in the upcoming weeks, uh, I don't know it would have to really tie into John Jay's health status. If John Jay is ready to join the team, then that's an easy swap. Jay gets activated from the disabled list, Paul could gets optioned back to Charlotte. If Polka continues to struggle, let's say he gets to Chris Davis levels where he's over for 40, uh, I don't know if the White Sox make a swap then where they bring back Ryan Cordell or maybe they even bring back some like Nicky DeModico, uh, to come in to be on the roster until John Jay is healthy. So, Russell, a lot of this is tied to the health of John Jay, uh, but it would be interesting to see in how the White Sox play this if Daniel Polka continues to struggle and remain hitless in the upcoming week. So great question, Russell. Thank you so much for it. Our next question comes from Dump Ump, and Dump is asking, how long do the White Sox stick with Yomer Sanchez as an everyday starter? I think there is a platoon for the White Sox at the moment. If it's a right-handed starter, we'll see Yomer Sanchez. If it's a left-handed starter, we'll see Jose Rondon. Now that may not make sense when you're looking at the splits. Jose Rondon's been much better against right-handed pitching uh, in his career than left-handed pitching. Uh, so be interested to see how Renteria handles this. I, I think the White Sox would like Yomer Sanchez to be the everyday starter, uh, with Rondon obviously getting some playing time at second base or maybe even at shortstop to spell some time and give Tim Anderson some rest, or maybe even at third base and have Mikata DH some games. While Rondon gets more time in the field. Rondon is the super utility guy. Um, but it is a little disheartening to see on how Yomar Sanchez has started this year. And he's kind of the same boat with Daniel Polkov. He continues to struggle through the roles flip where Jose Rondon is the everyday second baseman. And Yomar Sanchez goes back to being the super utility because of his poor play. Uh, That would be interesting. And even more interesting is what the White Sox want to do with Yomer Sanchez if he continues this poor play after the season. Yomer Sanchez is making $4.5 million. He enters another year of arbitration next year, which almost always guarantees a pay raise. And quite frankly, if he's not going to go back to the level of play that he's had the last couple of years... Where he was an average major leaguer, yes, he was overexposed, playing every single day. Uh, Maybe the White Sox decide that that's not five, five and a half million dollars uh, worth spending. Uh, So the White Sox and Yomer Sanchez himself, they really need to see an uptick in play uh, in these next couple of weeks. And maybe this is just a slump and Yomer will break out of it. And then everything will be good in the White Sox infield. But right now, Uh, I, I would say let's see how this platoon works between Rondon and Yomer Sanchez. And if Sanchez isn't better starting on May 1st, then maybe the White Sox make that flip. And Jose Rondon is your everyday second baseman with Yomer Sanchez coming off the bench. But Dump, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Marty Sweeney on Twitter. And Marty's asking, understanding that this is eight games into the season, what are we looking for in terms of a rebuild? None of our pitching seems to work and we have two, maybe three players that will be on the winning roster. So Marty, this is a good question. And the way I'm looking at it to really try to simplify it is with position players, I'm looking at weighted runs created plus runs created is to try to encompass all offensive metrics and contribute on the success that player has. And the weighted part is factoring in park factors. And for weighted runs, created plus, it's a percentage stat. So 100 is league average. So for hitters for the White Sox, we need to be looking for hitters that are above 100 on weighted runs, created plus. On the pitching side, they have a similar stat. This is on baseballreference.com called ERA plus. And same thing. 100 is league average and we as fans should be looking for pitchers for the White Sox that are above 100 on ERA+. And if you can do that, both offensively and pitching, uh, most of the time you will see a pretty good wins above replacement. And looking at the previous postseason teams for the White Sox, I think the goal is to develop seven players that could be worth three war or above. Because that's what the 1983 White Sox team had. That's what the 1993 White Sox had. That's what the 2000 White Sox had. The 2005 world champion Chicago White Sox, I think had 12 players that were two war or better. So almost half the 25-man roster was at two war. Uh, To compare that last year, the White Sox only had like three players that were two wins and above replacement. Uh, So big difference there. And the 2008 Chicago White Sox uh, also had seven players that were three-war and better. And, of course, this is a combination of pitchers and position players. And I think those are the magic numbers, Marty, on who are those players that can develop to be that quality. I think Carlos Rodon could be a three-war player. I think Yuan Makata and Tim Anderson could be three-war players. We've seen Jose Abreu be a three-war player. Uh, But that's where we're at right now. What did I just? Four, four names, four guys. Yeah, the White Sox are missing three guys that should be three WAR players, and that's why with the the whole trade scenario, I mentioned a Mitch Haniger and I mentioned a Starlin Marte uh, because they have been in the past, and I still think they can be, even though they are moving up on the aging curve, uh, and to expect rookies to come into the major leagues and immediately be a player that you can count on to be three wins uh, above replacement, uh, I think is a tall task. And we're kind of seeing that with Aloy Jimenez at the moment. Uh, So where the White Sox are at right now, yeah, I think they got four, three three-war players. Uh, They need to find at least three more before I think they can take that leap and go from pretender to contender in the American League Central. uh, And then who knows what happens in the postseason. Uh, I hope that helps you, Marty, as far as what to look for uh, the rest of the 2019 season. Awesome question. And the next set of questions are for our Patreon listeners only. Thank you guys so much for your support. The first question comes from Michael Wagner, and Michael is asking, why not overreact about Zach Collins' nice start? Do you think we will see Collins on the 25-man roster at some point this season? And, Michael, I think that is a, a real possibility. I think the quickest way for Collins is, of course, injury. If something were to happen to Jose Abreu or Yonder Alonso or if, like, Wellington Castillo or, or James McCann got injured, yeah, I do think that's a situation where Zach Collins could be called up uh, and get some time with the White Sox. And, yeah, he looks great so far offensively in Charlotte. Hopefully that will continue. It is a much smaller ballpark and the ball flies out uh, more frequently than it does in Birmingham. Uh, That's the only caution that I would say is watch for the inflated numbers. We were excited not that long ago about a first base prospect named Andy Wilkins because Andy Wilkins was crushing home runs in Charlotte. And then he comes to Chicago and he doesn't get a hit. Uh, So that's just my only caution but I think Zach Collins is a far better hitter than Andy Wilkins. And I'm really hoping that this can continue because the White Sox definitely do need another power bat that could call on uh, to enter in their lineup. Uh, but who knows, Sebby Zavala has been hitting uh, to start the season as well. Uh, so I think it's a comfort factor for the White Sox. If it's a catcher injury, do they feel more comfortable having Sebby Zavala come in in an emergency to play a couple weeks. If there's an injury to Jose Breu or Yonder Alonso, do they feel more comfortable having Zach Collins then come into the roster? So I I think that's what we're looking at right now, Michael. It requires an injury to see Zach Collins join the 25-man roster. But as we've seen and known last year, either injuries or suspensions, that possibility May come up and who knows, then we may see Zach Collins or Sebi Zavala uh, sooner than later. But excellent question, Michael. Thank you so much for it. Our next question comes from Southpaw Jackson. And Southpaw is asking With the issues at second base, any chance you think the White Sox try to acquire Ian Hap? And Southpaw, I don't know if the Chicago Cubs are interested in trading Ian Hap. I know he's currently. In Iowa right now, in AAA, I thought that was a bit of a shocking move. Yes, he did not play all that well. Uh, Last year, he was worth half a win above replacement uh, after what I thought he had a successful rookie season in 2017. Uh, So who knows? I mean, the, the Cubs just signed David Bodie. To a five-year deal uh, for 15 million dollars so pretty cheap but it seems that the Cubs are are committed to David Bodie and has David Bodie taken away that infield opportunity for Ian Happ is Ian Happ now just an outfielder and if you look at the Cubs outfield with Kyle Schwarber and Jason Hayward uh, and Albert Amora I don't think Ian Happ could play center field I think he's a corner outfielder uh, then then you're not looking at someone that could play second base. And I'm not quite sure what the White Sox think of Ian Happ as well. This is a very weird situation for the Chicago Cubs with Ian Happ because he just displayed so much promise his rookie year, and I thought this was going to be another impact bat for them, but that doesn't appear to be the case. His future is going to be something to pay attention to to see what happens here. Um, but it does appear that the Cubs have moved on at least from the infield. And Ian Happ is going to be an outfielder. And if he is available, I wonder what that asking price is going to be. I'm sure the Cubs need pitching. I don't know if you've been watching the Cubs at all. Their lack of depth on the pitching, at least in the starting and bullpen, especially the bullpen, uh, is quite alarming. And like we talked about at the beginning of the show, it's not exactly like the White Sox pitchers have been lighting up the world at the moment. Uh, so I don't know if it's a fit, but it's a very good idea. Southpaw be interesting to see if the White Sox or any other team approaches the Cubs about Ian Happ uh, to give Ian Happ a second life with the new ball club. So thank you so much for your question. And our last question for this episode comes from Lewis. And Lewis is asking, as compared to 2018, what is the most sustainable positive change you've seen on the White Sox? And I, I'm going to go back Uh, to the strikeout rates for Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata. I think if Yohan Makata can keep his strikeout rate uh, at 20 or below 20%, that I think everything we've seen from him offensively will be sustainable, that this is going to be a guy who will hit 40 doubles and hit more than 25 home runs and who knows might be an all-star at third base. And if Tim Anderson can also keep his strikeouts low, and he's consistently putting the ball more in play, and he's consistently making good contact against breaking pitches, that yeah, I could see Tim Anderson hit twenty-five home runs this year, and I could see Anderson steal thirty bases. So I think, as far as the most sustainable positive changes, Lewis, I, I do believe in Tim Anderson and Yoan Makata, and they're well above average offensive performances are sustainable Uh, for anyone else, though, as far as, you know, positive changes or even negative changes. I'm not quite sure if they are sustainable. I do think a lot of these negatives are slumps uh, that will be broken out of. Uh, But what does that player look like after they snap their slump? Can they be consistent for a month? Because it's going to take a month of good play to make up the two bad weeks that they've had. Uh, so it's a very interesting question, Lewis, that you have posed. But right now, after everything we've seen for eight games, I think the most sustainable positive change is the reduced strikeout rates from Tim Anderson and Yoan Mikata. And thank you to everyone who submitted questions this week. In P.O. Socks, awesome questions as always, guys. Thank you so much for submitting them. If you have a question for us in a future episode of the Socks Machine Podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com/slash Socks Machine, and help support the show and the website by going to Patreon.com/slash Socks Machine to sign up. Uh, we have several tiers there, uh, depending on what type of support you want to give us our patreon supporters always get additional content they got an opportunity to ask questions to the minor league guys that they will only be able to hear the answers on their special edition of each socks machine podcast that is ad free Uh, and we also give away cool swag you want a socks machine pint glass they're awesome we got a tier for you that you can sign up and get yourself a socks machine podcast pint glass uh, so again, if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today to become a friend of the podcast and the website. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. Again, thank you to our three guests this week and Joe Wild, Jonathan Lee, and Kurt Bloom for joining the show. We'll have those guys on throughout the course of the season. If you just discovered the Socks Machine Podcast, you, you can subscribe in a number of ways. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
2: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns.